the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Come on in, pull up a chair, don't be nervous, it's just a perfectly routine mid-year health check. Now, stick out your tongue and say, ah, ugh. Given the long list of ailments that have left the shipping industry feeling somewhat under the weather in the past, the core markets are doing okay at the moment. Our traditional mid-year health check on shipping's core sectors finds few nasty surprises in containers or dry bulk. The underlying health conditions are obviously still there, and we need to keep an eye on them. Inflationary pressures, the Eurozone's tepid consumer recovery, flatlining real incomes in the UK, and a potential recession in the US are, let's face it, all weighing heavily on consumer spending and therefore demand in the advanced economies. In dry bulk, uh, China reopened with a whimper, not a bang. But the dry bulk sector, unlike their peers in containers, who lack the same self-control, have been looking after themselves and have avoided indulging in over-ordering. So they are, to some extent, managing their own conditions. Tankers, that's a different story. After a long bout of depression, the drugs have finally kicked in and they are feeling much more optimistic, possibly even borderline manic, which is something we're going to have to keep a close eye on, I think, going forward. The cash is rolling in as the Russia-led dislocation and recalibration of global oil trades align with the lowest fleet-to-order book ratio in a generation. So let's start there, shall we? We're going to be taking the core shipping markets through their mid-year health check this week with the help of Lloyd's List dedicated specialists. And I'm going to start by calling in our top tankers practitioner, Michelle Vesey-Bockman. Well, the immediate future for tankers is quite bright and much, much better than the situation for dry bulk carriers and container ships. But the problem for tankers is that all the demand is coming from ton miles and from trade imbalances. The global economic situation is providing economic headwinds, but the only reason that tankers have a cushion is the Russian war has recalibrated and redirected crude and refined products to increase and lengthen voyages, which of course is increasing ton miles and hence demand for tankers. But we're seeing peak oil scenarios on the horizon. So I think this year is going to be the last year of COVID catch-up growth. So after that, ton miles and trade imbalances will have to do all the heavy lifting. The other secret weapon for the tanker industry is the fact that when they made their billions last year, as the market took off and they hit the top of the cycle, they didn't rush out and order new ships like the container ship owners did. They actually paid down debt and refinanced expensive lease deals and those public companies, they returned a lot of it in dividends. They're not ordering new ships because there is regulatory uncertainty about what kind of future fuel these new tankers will be propelled by. But at some point, you know, there is going to have to be fleet renewal. We've got a lot of very old tankers out there in the market, some of them officially, some of them existing in the dark fleet. But the reality is you can't sit on that for a long time. They're going to have to make a bet in terms of uh, you know, more efficient tankers. How, how do you see that playing out? Well, at the moment, shipyards are pretty much full with orders from other vessel types. So the earliest you could really get a new tanker delivered is 2026 or 2027. So you have 
you know, the the chief executive of International Seaways, Lois Brocky, was saying the other week at Marine Money, you know, we've got two, three years of of good times. And then after that, things are a little uncertain because there will be new orders. Um, but peak oil, gasoline demand in Europe and the US has already peaked. Transport fuel demand is peaking, is forecast to peak in about two years. This is according to the IEA, the International Energy Agency, and they're forecasting that there will be peak oil as soon as 2030. So there are a lot of factors at play that are going to impact the spot rates for tankers. And that has a lot of companies deciding whether or not now is the time to lock in longer-term deals like three-year or four-year time charter deals. I think it feels very frothy, and I'm not really sure that there won't be another black swan that could really rip the rug out from underneath their feet. As we saw with the uprising, the temporary uprising in Russia that had everybody forecasting maybe this was the end of Putin I mean, that would signal the end of sanctions within a couple of years or within a couple of, you know. So there, there's just so many uncertainties that could change the tra- trajectory that, you know, I can't see and nobody can forecast. But in terms of the immediate um, opportunity to make an awful lot of money, I mean, this is how the tanker sector has uh, you know, evolved. You know, you have long periods where they're not making any money and they have to make hey, where the sun shines. And and it does look reasonably positive. You've got very few ships coming in. You've got this situation where, you know, the market demand is, is there. And, you know, there is no reason why we can't see tanker owners making a shed load of cash over the next 18 months or so. I think they will. And the most money, of course, is being made by the Greek ship owners in the Russian trades, the oil price cap compliant trades, where I'm told that the freight cost to ship an Aframax tanker, which has about 600,000 barrels from Primorsk in the Baltic to India, is about $9 million. That's a pretty good chunk of cash for a very old ship. Um, as we all know, the vessels that are in control, uh, sorry, as we all know, the tankers that are dominant in this trade are mostly elderly vintage tankers. Greek ship owners are comprising about half of all Baltic and Black Sea trades. They're making a lot of money in this market. The rest is dominated by a fleet of elderly, anonymously owned ships that we have defined as being part of the dark fleet. There's about 450 or 460 of those tankers now comprising about 12% of the internationally trading fleet that are all solely uh, deployed in shipping Venezuelan, Iranian and, and Russian crude. So there's also that in the background because at some stage they will have to be scrapped. So, you know, I'm I'm very positive for tankers through to 2024 when demand starts to moderate and you know with the caveat that it's all about ton miles and trading balances and as you say that 450 odd fleet of 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 dark fleet aging vessels that's kind of the key here i mean we are not going to make any predictions in terms of uh, when 
sanctions will or or, or won't uh, disappear. But you know, this is not a long-term strategy to be relying on the existence of a, a, a fairly stringent set of uh, you know economic measures against one of the world's largest economies. Uh, do you have any idea? You know how tanker owners are thinking right now uh, in terms of the impact of the dark fleet and the risks that that holds for them. Well, what we've seen with the evolution of the dark fleet in these trades is that a second t- secondary uh, second tier market has evolved, and will it remain? Well, it all depends on whether or not there's an accident. That could be a black swan event. We have an environmental accident with one of these old bangers, and you know, all bets are off as to whether or not the industry is going to tolerate any of these vessels being ship, shipping through some of the busiest waterways. Okay, Richard, can I just leave with a shameless plug for the fact that our dark fleet list of some 450, 60 tankers is now freely available to download to subscribers of Lloyd's List Intelligence. You may all indeed. Essential risk there. and compliance monitoring right there for you, ladies and gentlemen. Indeed. Everyone's been asking for it, and we've delivered. Over in containers, the volatile readings we're seeing from previous tests seem to have settled down a bit, and the last of the blockages seem to have worked their way out, which is good news. But it's all taken its toll on the overall health of the market. Dr James Baker, our box specialist, has been given the market a thorough examination. Uh, On some levels, the box sector is faring very well in that it's sitting on vast sums of money that it made over the last two or three years. Um, In other ways, however, it is in a fairly parlous state. Um, It's it's always been a cyclical industry, and what we're seeing now is the move to bust after the boom. Um, We're not at bust, but we're somewhat heading that way. Um, as, as, As you mentioned, you know, the global economy is not in the best of states. We've got all these geopolitical pressures. Um, we've got these uh, macroeconomic factors. Um, and even the return, you know, the end of the pandemic in a way, we, we had this big boom that was based on consumer sp- spending shifting into goods rather than services. Um, now consumers have returned to type. They've for a long time been moving towards spending more of their incomes on services than on goods. And, um, now that trend's returned, now that the lockdowns and everything are all over. Um, so there's simply just not the demand. Um, when we're looking at demand, though, it, it is important to realise that the comparisons that we're still making, the annual comparisons we're making now, are still compared to part of that, the tail end of that boom um, last year. We were only sort of coming to the end of it last year. So some caution when we, you know, we've had sort of um, volumes across the year into the US, uh, container volumes is down sort of by about 18% uh, year to date. But we have to remember that they were vastly inflated um, last year. So yeah, general theme is that the demand is not there. People people don't have the money to spend. Interest rates are high. Mortgage rates are up. Everybody's feeling the pinch in the cost of living crisis. So, yeah, uh, fewer things need to be bought. And yet that huge pile of cash that you mentioned the lines are sitting on, they have been gleefully spending some of that uh, since the pandemic. We've got ships coming out of the yards fairly soon in, in increasingly uh, worrying volumes. Supply side is not mm. looking great. No, no, they had a, a something of a, a 
and ordering a bonanza during the during the pandemic and in some ways rightly so um i mean they needed the tonnage at the time and admittedly it's most of it's only just started to arrive now um but they'd not ordered for a long time you have to recall that before the pandemic, things had not been that great in the sector um, ever since sort of the Hanjin crash back in 2016. Um, it had been a fairly, you know, low earning sector. There was issues over <clears throat> um, what technologies were, were going to be used for decarbonisation, as there still are. Um, and so, yeah, there'd been little ordering done. So the, the fleets were getting old. They were becoming less economical. They needed refreshing. Um, so... It was a sensible thing to do. Unfortunately, as, as always happens in this situation, we go from undercapacity to overcapacity. Um, as, as demand goes up, the ships get ordered. By the time they arrive, the, the demand's gone down and uh, we're, we're back in that, that scenario again. Um, regardless, though, they, you know, we, we, we mentioned yesterday that um, this is, you know, container shipping's kind of ahead of the game in many respects. And they're really pushing for these um decarbonization technologies we've got virtually half the ships ordered i think now 40 percent have got dual fuel technology dual fuel engines fitted already so um in some ways this is a good thing um what we need though is for some of this capacity to be sucked up now whether that comes through demolition there's a lot of old non-economical ships that are probably going to go to the wall sometime soon um or whether it comes from, again, with the environmental issue, slowing down, um, quite a lot of capacity could be sucked up just by adding another ship to every loop on every deep sea um, ocean loop. Um, if you know, just to, which means that the ships can slow down, um, use less fuel. Um, but on the other hand, at the moment, it's not looking great because there are there's more and more capacity coming on. Um, I think it's Drury estimates that there's going to be something like 30 million TEU by, on the water by 2027. Um, uh, that's fairly major growth from where we are now. And we have to remember it was only 2018, 2017, I think, that we first hit the 20 million mark. Um, and we certainly haven't had that much demand growth since then. We've already seen um, we've already seen rates coming down quite you know, very sharply since the since the peak. But um, there are a lot of reports that. A lot of voyages are being made, at, or certainly on spot rates, being made at, at loss making um, loss making earnings. So that's not a great place to be. You can sit on that for quite a while when you've got a massive war chest, but at some point, carriers are going to have to um, look at ways of taking that capacity out of the market. And in the longer term, you mentioned the sort of influx of tonnage and uh, you know growing fleets. We've already seen MSC overtake Maersk uh, in terms of the top spot. It's looking increasingly likely that CMA CGM may even take over uh, Maersk uh, in, in the next uh, year or two as well. We're seeing very different strategies from the line, certainly in the top five. Any ideas in terms of what that means in the mid to long term future for the uh, success of, of container lines? Well, I think we'll continue to see this sort of concentration consolidation it towards the top um i mean in many ways you, know, you say there's different strategies but on the other hand msc i mean most kicked off first they've, they've done this big push towards logistics and being a container integrator they, they like to call themselves um and they're not so focused 
on the ocean side as as they once were. They don't want to be necessarily the biggest anymore. Um, however, MSC has got you know it's sport below Africa. It's it's got a huge. Um, it's it's involved with airlines. It's got inland transport. It does very much the same thing. CMA CGM has also got a huge logistics division. So, in some ways, it's the strategies are massively different. They're all getting in there. But I think this this move to you know concentrate uh, uh, not, in fact deconcentrate across the whole supply chain and get more more of the action um, is, is going to continue and I think that is likely to see you know more I mean the top 10 lines already take up something like 85 percent of, of um, global volumes and I think that will that will stay stay like that for the foreseeable future. The dry markets have been feeling a little flat of late. The nasty ship habit seems to be under control for the moment, but it seems to be suffering from post-COVID fatigue. Demand is not as it should be, and tests reveal that the root cause of the problems are China-related. So I'm going to hand over to our Asia editor, Sishin Chen, for the prognosis. Well, thanks, Richard. Um, I guess, you know, the Chinese economy is not, really doing well, at least not uh, as well as uh, people have uh, expected early in the year. I mean, the uh, Bank of China has recently forecasted the uh, GDP, GDP growth in China uh, to stand at about 6% for the second quarter of this year. And uh, how much we had for the first quarter? I think around 4%, right? So that will uh, add up to like 5% for the first half of uh, 2023. Uh, it seems to be, uh, you know, uh, hitting sort of, you know, uh, it seems to be sort of on track, uh, provided the uh, annual target set, set by Beijing uh, for a 5% growth uh, uh, for the entire year. But uh, let's bear in mind that, uh, you know, this is based on the very, uh, I mean, this is against a very low base from last year, uh, you know, the first half of last year. So if we keep this pace, then it is very likely that we're going to miss the full year, you know, GDP growth target uh, when it comes to the end of this year. It's probably going to be around like three mm. to four percent. So uh, I guess that's why uh, people are. Um, uh, there's this increasing voices about, you know, um, uh, more stimulus packages, uh, policies from Beijing to, you know, give a boost, you know, to to the growth. Uh, otherwise, you know, uh, things just, you know, not looking good. Uh, certainly not for, you know, the prospects of dry bulkers. Because when we saw the Chinese economy opened back up again after COVID. There was this expectation that you know, there was going to be this huge resurgence. And of course, it's it's come back with more of a whimper than a bang. You mentioned the stimulus uh, package that's been sort of mooted as a, as a you know, proposed way of getting things back on track. I mean, how likely do you think that is and how much of a stimulus package can we expect? Because we've seen stimulus packages come and go before some have been more successful than others. I don't think anyone's really expecting a really big bang this time. 
I guess, well, this is certainly out uh, of, uh, you know, my shipping expertise, but I guess, you know, the consensus uh, from the economists and uh, analysts is that, uh, you know, we, we won't be expecting anything uh, like what we had uh, in 2009 after the financial crisis. Uh, you know, uh, of course, uh, you know, the reason being, you know, China is trying to shift you know, away from its investment-led economy economic growth model to a more sort of, you know, uh, consumption-led, uh, 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 you know, e economic model. Uh, but I think uh, let's not forget that, uh, you know, when China launched its massive stimulus package in 2009, you know, um, the U.S. Uh, at the time was actually, you know, cutting its interest rate. Whereas now it hasn't reversed interest rate hikes yet. Uh, so I think, so, you know, in comparison, I think this time uh, the US monetary policy actually gives China, you know, much less leeway to actually sort of step up efforts uh, in, stimulate, in stimulating the economy. Um, on the other hand, obviously, you know, uh, compared to uh, you know, 15 years ago, you know, the debt level of China has gone up a lot, which sort of also limited its capacity uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to sort of inject massive liqu liquidation into the economy. I mean, just look at the uh, the debt level of the uh, Chinese local government. Uh, I, I think that really sort of restricts their their capacity of uh, you know keep uh, investing in, in infrastructure projects in the country. And of course, a lot really depends on China's property market. You know, th there have been sort of reports um, by uh, other media publications that uh, you know uh, China will launch a, a property focused rescue package. Uh, and also sort of the issue of about one trillion, you know, special bonds to provide relief to the debt-ridden, you know, governments. Uh, but these are not certain yet. Uh, at least, you know, um, uh, the, 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 the statistics that have been published so far has shown that uh, the um, both the sales and the investment uh, in the Chinese property market, uh, have shrunk uh, by double digits, you know, in April and May, uh, compared to the same periods of last year. Uh, so, uh, I guess you know this is really bad news for the um, at least for the large segments uh, like Cape size, because that's really gonna you know uh, 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 restrict uh, you know the uh, the imports. Uh, appetite of China uh, for those uh, commodities. It's worth noting that there have been a string of orders reported recently for dry bulkers, particularly from Greek owners who, let's face it, are known for their shrewdness when it comes to foreseeing market cycles. This might indicate that even though the market outlook remains pretty subdued for now, there are experienced players out there that are still upbeat about the longer term prospects, particularly given the thin order book. Signing up for a conventional fuel bulker right now and having it delivered in 2025, 26, that's a risk. But 
Will that vessel be able to make big bucks during a period where there is likely to be a lack of new ships flowing into the market due to the owner's hesitance in ordering zero-emission tonnage right now? Yeah, possibly. We've certainly heard of some Chinese owners betting on that prospect, and they are ordering dry bulkers, mainly supermaxes, with the support of local leasing houses. That's interesting. Even Sishan, who's pretty gloomy about market prospects right now, is able to see some bright spots on the horizon. Uh, certainly, uh, there are some spotlights uh, when it comes to the smaller vessel segments. I mean, uh, recently we've seen a surge uh, of uh, uh, coal imports from China, for example. Um, and also the flood uh, in China is currently uh, expected to reduce the, um, uh, the, the domestic production of uh, grains so that China might need to import more uh, from overseas. So that uh, is likely to benefit, you know, the smaller vessel segments like handy size, uh, etc. So there you have it. That wasn't too painful, was it? Overall, I don't have too many concerns, but we'd like to keep an eye on you and recommend that you come back to visit us for the annual Outlook examination in December. In the meantime, if you have any more detailed questions about your many conditions, I can refer you to some very thorough literature in the waiting room titled Lloyd's List Media Market Outlook. The full report is available online at lloydslist.com, and I would highly recommend you get yourself a subscription. At your age, you shouldn't be fobbed off with those freebie options with homeopathic quantities of real insight. You need the full strength option. Now, Keep up the exercise and please try to cut back on the HFO. Switching to a lighter option is going to pay dividends in the long run, trust me. See you in December. Bye.